You are listening to the Audio Information Network of Colorado. This recording is intended to be used solely by individuals with barriers to print. Thank you for joining us for Colorado Gardener. My name is Christy McGowan. Super hardy shrubs and trees for northern climates by Teo Spangler. And this is from GardeningKnowHow.com. If you live in a cold winter area, you'll want to put in cold hardy shrubs and trees. Indeed, in the most northern parts of the country, that may mean searching for the most cold hardy evergreen trees and shrubs. Don't worry though, you'll have more than a few to choose from. Most hardy evergreen trees. While some deciduous trees are extremely cold hardy, evergreens are among the most cold hardy trees around. Think of the spruce that grow in Alaska. Yes, there are evergreen spruce and pine and even cypress trees that thrive down to USDA plant hardiness zone two, and even more for still cold zones three and four. Since trees hardy to zone two will also do well in zones three and four, let's look at the evergreen trees that will survive zone two winters. Most are spruce and pine. They include, from tallest to smallest, Norway spruce. Norway spruce is an evergreen that gets to 80 feet tall by 30 feet wide in a full sun location. Norway pine. Norway pine grows just as tall as the Norway spruce and a little wider. This evergreen also likes full sun. Weeping white spruce. Weeping white spruce is an evergreen that tops out at 50 feet tall by 10 feet wide in a full sun location. Some cold hardy evergreen shrubs. If evergreen trees are among the hardiest on the planet, what about cold hardy evergreen shrubs? They are also the best shrubs for cold weather. Look for shorter, more compact spruce and pine trees, but some cypress shrubs also work well. Fastigiata spruce. The narrow columnar shrub of Fastigiata spruce only grows 15 feet tall by three feet wide, but requires full sun. Tannenbaum mugo pine, a shorter shrub, some three feet shorter than the Fastigiata spruce, but twice as wide. Tannenbaum mugo pine is another pyramid-shaped evergreen bush that needs full sun. Russian cypress. Russian cypress is very short at only one foot tall and at four feet wide, much wider than tall. This is an evergreen shrub that can grow in any exposure in full sun to full shade. Hardy flowering shrubs and trees. Not every shrub and tree that will tolerate very cold winters is necessarily evergreen which is fortunate for gardeners who are hoping to have flowers in their yard in a cold area. Conifers like pine and spruce have their purposes, but producing eye-popping flowers 
is not one of them. Those looking for trees and shrubs for cold weather will find more hardy flowering shrubs and trees than you might think, as long as you aren't talking USDA Zone 2. For Zones 3 and 4, check out these deciduous plants, each with its own virtues. Serviceberry. Plant this small tree, tall shrub, in full sun to partial shade in zones from 2 to 7. Serviceberry grows to 25 feet tall and wide and dazzles with white spring blossoms, edible berries, and red fall foliage. Looking for something smaller? Go for the shrub form of the serviceberry. The cultivar Regent grows to six feet tall and wide in the same zones. Border Forsythia. Border Forsythia is an extremely cold hardy flowering shrub that grows to 10 feet in both directions. It produces golden flowers very early in spring and often is the first shrub in the yard to flower. Hyacinth Lilac. Most of these lilacs grow to between 7 and 12 feet tall, with a spread of 8 to 10 feet. They grow in an upright habit and produce fragrant flower clusters in spring. Northern Catalpa. A winner when it comes to tolerating city issues, Northern Catalpa is hardy to USDA Zone 4. Incredible when you see its white orchid-like flowers and inhale their arresting fragrance. The Catalpa grows to 60 feet tall with a 40-foot spread. Lifesavers, rescued by my daughter, my friend, and my garden, by Robert Lepange. And this is from Green Prince, Autumn 2022 edition. I served as a British soldier for more than two decades. When I was discharged, I was physically fine, but, as I realized later, mentally broken. Things I'd blocked out at the time now gave me nightmares, recurring nightmares. But I refused to accept help for another two decades. By then single and in my early 50s, my hobbies were drinking heavily at home until I fell asleep, waking up and doing it again. The thought of ending everything crossed my mind more than once. Then one day, my daughter Chantel arrived, along with Dave, an old military friend. Chantel spent the afternoon cleaning the house that I had let become a pit. Dave spoke gently with me for a long time. My daughter kissed me goodbye and left, promising to return soon. But Dave stayed. He made two coffees, and he and I sat quietly on the back step in the warm, late afternoon. I relaxed. To have two people caring for me without me even asking for it was something I had not felt in a long while. It felt good. Dave looked out at the three-foot-high grass and weeds in the back. Is that a garden? he asked. I shrugged. Well, I guess. I mean, it used to be. 
He told me about his life after his own breakdown, his ongoing fortnightly visits from a veteran psychologist, and how working in his garden had really helped him. I'll tell you what, Bob, I'll come back tomorrow and we can start cleaning up the garden. We'll start slowly, just an hour or so. You'll be surprised. Gardening is great. And you'll see instant results. I agreed, but had no intention of doing anything of the sort. Gardening is for old people, I said to myself. The following morning, my doorbell rang way too early. Oh, well, I didn't have to go far to answer it. I'd passed out drunk on the settee. I groggily opened the door and was horrified to see Dave with all manner of gardening equipment in a wheelbarrow behind him. Good morning, sir, he said politely. It's 0800. I believe you and I are on weed patrol today. It took me an hour or so to wake properly, shower, and get ready to do some work. Dave patiently nurtured me, making me eat and drink something. As I chewed my toast, Dave set a piece of paper in front of me, his list of how we could make the area both productive and nature-friendly. The first job, he said, would be to cut the grass in an area about three meters square. We'd then dig it over and plant a row of radish seeds. Dave explained that the work would be hard, but that I'd see returns, both today and in a few days as the radish plants started to sprout. He was right on both counts. Digging ground that was full of weeds and hadn't been turned for a few years was hard. Hard indeed. I'd grown unused to physical labor and had to stop often. But by late afternoon, we'd removed all the weeds and turned over all the soil. And I had to admit, I really could see immediate change. As time went on, I started noticing other things too. I saw veggies starting to grow, but also honeybees. I saw weeds which I removed as soon as they dared poke their heads above ground, but also birds. Oh, they'd been there, but I'd been inside throwing alcohol down my throat as fast as I could. I decided to help take care of them too. I built an insect hotel, a bird feeder, and a few bird boxes. Dave and I had planned to have 60 square meters of garden and vegetables. The plan was to do no more than 10 meters for the first year, but we'd cut out all the foliage in the rest, then I'd keep it mowed. Dave asked me what I wanted to grow and smiled at some of the choices. Asparagus? That takes three years, but we can make a bed and plant them this year. Carrots? They may be a bit difficult this first year. Your tilth isn't fine enough. What about melons? I begged. I've always loved Charente's melons. You know, that deep orange, tender French cantaloupe? I'd like to grow that most of all. 
Melons? In England? I'm not sure it's warm enough for long enough, mate. He looked at the disappointment in my face. But why not? Let's give it a try. That first year, I had mixed results in my garden. Some things, radishes, did well. And many, my melons, did not. But I had very positive results in my life. I liked working physically in the garden. I enjoyed being outdoors and learning how to care for plants. I spent a couple of hours pretty much every day in the garden. I lost weight, gained some color in my cheeks, and felt my muscles becoming stronger. And I stopped drinking alone at home. When Dave came round, which he did often, we always had a beer at some stage, but only one. My life changed in so many ways, all for the better. Over the next four years, I learned to have the patience and skills a gardener needs to grow tomatoes, leeks, spuds, garlic, and more. My diet improved vastly, all that homegrown produce. Relationships improved as I learned to take better care of others as well as myself. But every year, every single year, I failed to grow a Charente's melon. I coddled the plants the way a mother hen does her chicks, even starting them indoors in a greenhouse to get a jump on the season. But no luck. That fifth year, this year, I wasn't going to accept defeat. I had to raise a Charente's. It felt like it would validate all the work and progress in my life. This spring, holding the small seeds in my hand, approaching my soil-filled pots, I spoke sternly. This year, you're going to give me fruit. I was going all out for success. Four pots, four seeds per pot. My own homemade, well-rotted compost a heated propagator indoors to start them off. Four days after planting, I saw the first little green shoot fighting through the dark earth. After 10 days, 11 of the 16 seeds had sprouted. I kept all of them, instead of just the strongest ones, and moved them all into individual pots. 11 terracotta pots sat on a south-facing windowsill above the radiator in the warm front room. Once the plants were strong enough, and I was certain the worst frosts were over, I took them out into the greenhouse. It hadn't been heated before, but this year I'd installed a heat capture system. The melons were placed high up on a shelf to ensure maximum warmth. And then, disaster. One night, I fell asleep on the settee, watching gardening videos online. Oh, the irony. And didn't close the door and windows of the greenhouse. That night, there was a sharp, late frost. I lost more than half the plants. 
In the next few weeks, a few more fell by the wayside. But by late spring, my three remaining plants were growing strongly, so I started the hardening off process. Days outside against a south-facing wall, then back in the greenhouse at night. This process took over a week before I finally planted them into their final site. Each plant with a glass cloche over it that was closed each night and opened during the days. The day I saw the first melon flower was a big day. I was now down to only two plants, one having been destroyed by slugs. I'd gotten to this stage before, though. I'd even had fruit before, but they'd never grown larger than a ping-pong ball. But this year, Dave came round to share my excitement. We had a light lunch, a fresh garden salad, picked in front of his eyes, washed and popped on the plate with, yes, a homemade mayonnaise. The flowers multiplied, then fruit appeared, tiny at first. That year, summer was long and hot. I went away for a few days to see Chantel and returned to find one plant dead. I suspect the neighbor's cats played with it, but I had no proof. The other, the last plant was pushing ahead and had four large fruits. I placed each one on a piece of slate to protect it from rot and spent hours cosseting them in any way I could. Finally, I knew the day had come. I called Dave. Come round tomorrow, Dave. The fruit of my labors will be tasted. We'll have port and melon to start. He came in the afternoon. As we sat over cups of coffee before going out, words I'd been looking for for a long time finally spurted forth. Dave, thanks. Five years ago, your visit with Chantel changed my life. I would have slowly drunk myself to death. I know it was she that called you, but you didn't have to come, and you certainly didn't have to come back. You turned my life around, I'm sure you know, but just in case you don't, I'm telling you. He tried to protest, but we both knew what he'd done for me. I took my knife and we walked to the melon plant. The Charentes lay there, the morning dew long since gone, the remaining leaves yellowing. I cut the stem of the largest one, took it to my outdoor table, sat down with Dave, and sliced. The warm, sweet aroma of a fully ripe Charentes rose to our nostrils. Back in the day, as younger men, we used to sit in the sergeant's mess and eat a port and melon starter. A couple of decades later, older, heavier, and with less hair, we sat in my garden, the late autumn sunshine warming our backs as we looked at the recently harvested field behind the garden and enjoyed 
the best port and melon starter ever. The steak on the barbecue was slowly cooking. My homegrown spuds, tomatoes, and onions were roasting in the oven. And life, like our melon, was very sweet. Three plants that struggle in western winters. What not to plant in your Colorado landscape. By Anne at Go West Gardener. And this is from GoWestGardener.com. No one wants to end up with extra garden chores and sad-looking plants. But that's what can happen if you accidentally pick plants that are known to struggle in Colorado landscapes, particularly during winter. So, in this tip, you'll get a scoop on three popular plants to avoid planting in Colorado and similar western states. These plants can be high maintenance here. Do you remember the TV show, What Not to Wear? Think of this article as, What Not to Plant. These three plants are very popular in other parts of the country, but they don't like our winters. They tend to struggle with our dry climate, drying winter winds, intense winter sun, and big temperature swings from above freezing to below freezing like a kindergarten seesaw. You'll probably see these plants at your garden center, so use this article to be a smarter shopper. Let's dig in. Boxwoods. Boxwoods are decorative shrubs. They grow well in regions of the country with milder winters. It's hard to open a garden magazine without seeing a lush eastern garden that's lined with boxwoods. Boxwoods are evergreen. When they're planted in a place where they're happy, they typically stay green through the entire winter. I like to think of evergreen plants as staying forever green. It also means they don't go dormant into hibernation mode, so it's important to keep them regularly watered throughout the winter. Unfortunately, in western states like Colorado and Utah, boxwoods can be temperamental. During the winter, boxwood leaves have a tendency to dry out, often turning brown or orange. You may also see translucent yellow leaves. You may hear this called winter burn, and it isn't a pretty look. When you see boxwoods at the garden center, they're going to look lush, green, and super cute, but save yourself the headaches and skip them. You may find types of boxwoods that have a better track record in states like Colorado and Utah at a locally owned garden center. Or you may have luck if you plant the boxwoods in a sheltered place in your yard that faces east, northeast, or north. Manhattan Euonymus. These plants are like supersized boxwoods. When they're green, they look good. But this is another shrub that can struggle in Colorado winters. When these shrubs get winter burn, they don't look good for much of the year. Arborvitaes. Arborvitaes are trees and shrubs that are often used as hedges. They're a popular landscape plant in humid regions of the country. They grow quickly and they're evergreen. Again, this means typically stay green over the winter. They don't go dormant. But arborvitaes are another plant to avoid in Colorado landscapes. 
They like a lot of moisture, so they may struggle if you aren't great about winter watering. Not to mention our drying winter winds and our harsh freezes can be brutal for them. So does this mean you can't plant any of these shrubs and trees? Friends, the beauty of gardening is you can try planting almost anything. You may be able to find a protected location in your yard where these plants are less vulnerable to winter damage. But if you're planting your landscape in Colorado, Utah, or a similar western state, growing plants that are better adapted to our winters will take less effort. Thank you for joining us for Colorado Gardener. My name is Christy McGowan. If you enjoyed this program, please register for our free services at www.aincolorado.org or by calling 303-786-7777.